All right, Alexander, let's talk about the Russian economy, which is not in tatters. It's actually projected for even better growth than what they were saying last time the uh, economic uh, ministry gave their projections. They had it, at, I believe, like 1.8% or 2% growth. Now they're putting it at what is it, 2.8 or 3% growth? And they're saying that 2024 could also be a very strong year for growth. Uh, very different. The outlook for the Russian economy is very different than what you're getting from the UK, what you're getting from Germany, which is now being called the sick man of Europe. I mean, it's, that's, that's the German economy now, the sick man of Europe. Uh, how do you explain what's going on? Well, I think it's not actually difficult. I mean, this is, this is largely a product of two things. Firstly, there is the highest spending that the Russian government has engaged in on the wall. And there's no doubt that there has been an increase in spending, that arms industries are producing more. And that is undoubtedly uh, strengthening economic or, or increasing economic activity altogether. But... That's only a part of the picture, and in my opinion, far and away, the smallest part of the picture. The main reason the economy is taking off in the way that it has is because of sanctions. The whole way the sanctions thing has played out. Firstly, last year, we had the sanctions imposed. That caused Western companies to pull out en masse from Russia. That caused huge numbers of niches in the Russian economy that needed to be filled, which of course provided a huge number of business opportunities to all sorts of people. There was also a worry at that time on the part of many, many people about what would happen to the economy in the face of the sanctions. So people started saving. So there's already savings left over from the time of the pandemic because people had been saving during that time because they couldn't go out and shop and do the kind of things that people normally do. So savings were probably already quite high. And then last year they saved even more and demand fell. And that was a real problem. And the government was very worried about the fact, as I remember, that demand in the economy was so weak. And so the government did two things. They started spending more on the wall. They increased arms production. At the end of last year, and in a big way at the beginning of this year, and they also took various steps to try and support demand, to try to get demand in the economy, uh, um, you know, active and coming out again. And it all suddenly kicked in in the second quarter of this year. So demand came surging back. That meant people started to spend. That meant that there was suddenly very high demand for goods and services right across the economy. And that has led to a big economic surge. And um, manufacturing is now growing fast. In Moscow, which is, you know, the biggest manufacturing hub in the country, um, um, manufacturing is increasing by, I think it was 14% growth over uh, um, last year and much higher than 2021. So the economy is surging and business investment 
is rising and uh, the government is now rolling out various plans for further business investment in strategic industries. I was reading, by the way, a long paper about the government's plans to uh, rebuild the semi, to rebuild and enlarge and develop Russia's semiconductor industry, for example. So all of that is happening all at the same time and the economy is now surging. And the, the effect is that, as you correctly said, we had a prediction, if you remember, from the World Bank at the start of the year that the economy would grow by 0.7% this year, and then it was upgraded to, I think it was 1.5%, then it was 2%, then a short time ago Putin was saying it might be 2.5%. Now the economics ministry is saying 2.8% by year-end, perhaps even 3%. So this is a very, very big surge. And bear in mind that most of this growth is coming, the, the, the month where growth really began to kick in was July. So that's where the surge really began to take off. Now, this is having some other effects. It's sucking, sucking in imports. That has put pressure on the ruble because there's such big demand in the economy and also labor shortages because demand, you know, companies are struggling to keep up with the supply, this huge surge in supply. And of course, a lot of men are now in the army and the war. There's also been a, pu a further push up in wages. So there's wages are growing, demand is growing, the economy is growing, but it is also showing definite signs of overheating and the result is that inflation is higher than the central bank hoped it would be at the start of the year which is why they've been trying to raise interest rates the latest opinion view of the economics industry is that inflation will peak somewhere around seven percent by the end of this year and will remain there until this process finally um, stabilizes takes a more stable form which they will they predict will be in the last uh, quarter or third of ne of next year so we're going to have a period of higher inflation and higher interest rates but note that the higher interest rates at the moment do not seem to be slowing economic growth economic growth remains very strong and the government by the way because they've got these programs both to support the war through higher war spending but also to build up various um, industrial components of the economy i spoke about the plan for semiconductors and other such things shipbuilding all kinds of things of that kind they are going to spending in russia is going to increase but with oil prices rising and the ruble soft they're expecting that the budget deficit is going to shrink this year and possibly next with tax receipts surging. Some Russian officials are talking about a budget surplus next year. So already the economy is bigger than it was before the sanctions were imposed and it is going to become bigger still. Right. OK, so uh, what is happening to, to Germany, the UK? I don't know if you want to talk about the U.S. I think this is a good point 
uh, a good point in time to talk about um, the economies of the collective West, specifically what's going on in Germany and Europe and the UK, because we are at the one-year point yeah. of the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage, which really did change the economic fortunes of not only Germany, but of many uh, countries in the collective West and many countries that are part of the European Union. Because well, as, uh, as, Germany, as Germany's economy goes, so, does, so do the economies of the, of the EU. Well, we've discussed this before, but to reiterate again, what we spoke about right at the beginning, back when um, Scholz first suspended Nord Stream 2, if you remember, what, what has happened with that and with the subsequent destruction of Nord Stream 1 and the loss of cheap energy flows from Russia, what that all means is that Germany is now definitely in a process of deindustrialization. And uh, this is apparently starting to accelerate. It's also the case, and this is something we also discussed over many years, that the entire period of the Merkel, the entire Merkel era, was a period of um, industrial and technological, industrial stagnation in, the, in Germany. It was a period of immobil immobilism. The German economy did not adapt to the changes, the technological changes that were taking place in the world. It was buttressed by the euro and the captive market in Europe, which, of course, for Germany, the euro is a soft currency, even though it's a very hard currency for everyone else. So now all of that is coming together and Germany's economy is starting to look increasingly unhealthy. The sick man of Europe, some people are calling it, and that's affecting Europe altogether. Now, they've had another massive blow, which is this big increase in oil prices. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the increase in oil prices. And a lot of people are blaming OPEC plus. And of course, they have undertaken production cuts. That's no question at all about that. But there are other factors that are leading to the big increase in oil prices as well. One is that Chinese demand apparently is coming back. In fact, it's been quite strong. So China takes it up a lot of the oil. It's now one of the big consumers alongside the United States. But the other is that the Biden administration, based and in not just the Biden administration, but European governments in general, tried to sustain the economies last year. Do you remember there was all that huge spending programs that took place uh, last winter to tie the economies through what they assumed would be a temporary blip? That has left massive debt behind, but it's also meant that reserves of oil especially are not as strong as they ought to be. The United States drew heavily down on its strategic reserve. And the result is that there's not enough oil. There is now an oil shortage. And that is why the oil price has been creeping upwards. And most project that it will continue to do so. Now, that is very, very hard very bad news for the German economy, which is not able to import cheap energy. And of course, rising oil prices are going to accelerate in Europe 
the downward spiral. And that's what we're going to see. And the European Central Bank is now raised, has now again raised interest rates. And it's saying that interest rates have to continue to remain very high. Budget deficits, deficits are starting to grow in various European countries. Italy is now running a big budget deficit. The stresses, the strains across the Eurozone are growing and they're going to get much worse. I mean, that I can't see how I can't see upon what possible basis they can get better. And beyond that, we have at best a long period of continuing stagnation and most probably decline. And that's only if we avoid a serious recession. So that's Europe. So that's a simple situation. The United States, in some ways, is even more is more interesting because what has happened there is that the Biden administration did what the Europeans did. The Europeans, as I said, pumped a lot of money into their economy last winter in order to try to cushion the energy shock that happened last winter with the results, the, the consequences that we're now seeing. The United States did the same. But of course, they're also continuing to give huge funds to their industries through this so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Now, a lot of that is done through providing cheap credits or sometimes extremely cheap credits or handouts and things of that kind. Now, I was reading an article by uh, um, an economics writer, Matthew Lynn. He's pointing out that the budget deficit as a result in the United States is soaring. This despite the fact that the economy is um, growing. Of course, all this money is also the amounts of money are increasing. So the Inflation Reduction Act was supposed to provide $350 billion of extra spending to um, industry. Now that's already increased to $512 billion, apparently. There's talk that it will increase to $1.2 trillion before very long. So just as happened in the first year of the Biden administration, what we're seeing now is a huge wall of money um, hitting the economy, coming from the, you know, it's a huge fiscal stimulus taking shape. And that's also creating signs of overheating. And we see that with strikes in the auto industry, demands for people demanding 40% wage increases. We see the fact that food prices and energy costs are also rising. And from what I'm hearing, very little real sign that this industrial renaissance, that the Inflation Reduction Act is supposed to have been producing very little sign that it's actually producing that effect because to reiterate again if you're going to start you're going to go down the line of trying to build up your industries in this sort of fashion you unavoidably need to undertake a high degree of structured and coordinated planning and there's no sign of this coming out of the administration. They'll come up with all kinds of plans, but when you actually go through them, they're not, they're not realistic and they're not properly costed. Hmm. 
It also sounds to me like uh, the European Union and the U.S., they, uh, they spent all this money to keep their economies in check during the last year based on the hopes that Ukraine would pull off a victory. Well, that's exactly right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ukraine would, would pull get off. that money back somehow, right? Yeah, yeah Ukraine would pull off a victory. Uh, Russia, there would be a regime change there. The political system would collapse and, you know, all would be well. But it didn't work out like that. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's the situation they're faced with today. I mean, again, they put all their eggs in one basket. <laughs> they, they, they thought... If we get through <laughs> last asking. year, well, well, yeah, so it seems. Uh, I mean, that's the strange thing about this. They, they thought, you know, if we, provided we get through, you know, the winter, you know, we'll be all right because in the summer, you know, Zelensky's tanks will be outside the Kremlin by the autumn. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, well they, at the very least, you'll have retaken Crimea. We'll be able to impose some kind of capitulation on the Russians, this terrible man, Putin, will be out of the picture at last. We'll get our hands on Russia's energy resources once and forever, lock out the Chinese. Perhaps Russia will even break up and all will be well. But of course, it hasn't worked out like that. Um, and anybody who had two brain cells to rub together would know that you never gamble on these in that kind of way. Yeah, but Schultz... Well, Schultz doesn't have two brain cells to rub together, but no. Schultz subsidized everything yes. over uh, last winter. Yes. To cover up yes. the, the problem that he maneuvered Germany into. Exactly. And the problem that, that, that the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage yes. forced upon, yes. uh, upon Germany. Yes, I think, I think here again, this is one of the fundamental problems with... Um, Today's generation of political leaders in the West. Once upon a time, political leaders in the West came from industry, from business, or from, in the case of the, you know, the left, from unions. They had actual um, background in, you know, production, in industry, in the commercial world. They understood how things worked. They had some real understanding of how things worked. Today they don't, because they are a class of political apparatchiks who just, you know, float upwards. I mean, to the extent that they have a background uh, in anything, it's either, you know, some types of law or it's journalism, <laughs> things, like, things like that. But they, they don't really know how things work properly. And, you know, it's easy to see how someone like Scholz could have fallen for this kind of trap because he has no real background in this. And of course, Habeck, who's his economics minister, well, I understand that his previous experience was writing children's books, which isn't going to prepare you. Yeah, exactly. Which isn't going to prepare you for, you know, the difficult business of managing an economy as complex as the German. So they all thought... Well, we're very rich. Our countries are the richest countries in the world. Of course, we can find ways to get round. And they don't understand that their countries are rich in the way that they have been because of the very hard work that all kinds of people have put into that. And um, because up to now, they've been run in a certain way. 
Well, I'm not going to get into the, the, the background of, of Annalena. From what I understand, she was a trapeze well, that's right. specialist or something, <laughs> something like that in this. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Absolutely. Anyway, Absolutely. Uh, we, yeah. Yeah, we will uh, leave it there, the Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and X. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.